Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And we are in a question series. We asked you guys what kind of questions you had, and we're attempting to answer that. And today we are talking about how we live our lives, how do we live our faith out in a world of many different faiths. And I think I'm going to start with a question to you all. Are there certain situations, circumstances, contexts that you feel uncertain or conflicted about how to live your faith out? Because I think our world is a world of many faiths, of non-faiths, of faiths that look different than the faith that we're trying to live out. And I think it's actually in the day-to-day things. Maybe it's the workplace for you, your neighborhood, maybe even in your own family, that you feel challenged with living out your faith. And I think about my years on the sidelines of the hockey arena. See, we were soccer people. And as my husband said when I told him this, honey, there's no sidelines in a hockey arena. But I think about those years. Our youngest, Kate, was our only child to jump into hockey. And in sixth grade, she skated into that arena. And I have to be honest, it wasn't familiar to me. It was a culture and a context that I wasn't quite comfortable with. I didn't understand the world of hockey. And on this team, the particular culture of this team, it was different. Now don't get me wrong, the people were so nice. But they partied hard. And sometimes the conversations and the jokes were beyond my comfort zone. And I'm going to confess something to you guys right now. I made presumptions about these people and their faith or their lack of faith. Because I worked in a church. I was in seminary. All my friends and family were Christians. And honestly, I felt awkward and uncertain felt like I didn't belong, and I didn't know how to engage in a deep and meaningful way. And I wish so much that I understood what I'm beginning to grasp now, that as Jesus followers, we are called to be people who see God in each individual, who immerse ourselves in getting to know everyone. And when I think about that time, And what it means to live our faith out in a world of many faiths or no faith or faith that looks different. There are two stories that come to mind. And I think they can help us answer that question. The first story is from the Old Testament. And we're looking at Daniel. Daniel was a Jew who lived during the 6th century B.C. in the Babylonian exile. And Daniel shows us what faithful living looks like in exile. And how God's people should live as strangers in a world that's not their home. A world of different beliefs, of idol worship. But Daniel, he served the Babylonian Empire faithfully for over 70 years. And he never compromised his faith in God or his loyalty to God. And in chapter 6, what we see is Daniel continuing to serve in the, Ma- the Mado persian administration under King Darius. Now because of Daniel's work ethic and his integrity and, and character, all those things that came out of being a man of faith, 
Darius is about to move Daniel into the second highest rank in the government. He was going to oversee all the kingdoms. But his colleagues didn't like it. The other officials, they didn't like that one bit. So they were scheming on a way to take Daniel down. They couldn't find anything in his character. So they knew it had to be something related to his faith. So they tricked the king, they tricked Darius into a law, into signing a law that said for 30 days, no one was allowed to petition any other gods or person other than the king himself. The offenders would be cast into the den of lions. Here's where we pick it up. Daniel 6, 10 through 16. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he always had done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, he's ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Well, we know the rest of the story, right? Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. God comes, sends an angel in the middle of the night that shuts the lion's mouth. And Daniel escapes with not even a scratch. And the king is overjoyed. And by the end of this chapter, Darius is praising and worshiping Daniel's God. He writes a note, a letter out, and sends it out throughout the kingdom. And God is at work in Darius through Daniel and his character. And ultimately, I think there's an and both in this story, right? That this witness, Daniel's witness to God, it's led by his behavior, by his character. But he combines it with a verbal witness. He walked the walk and he talked the talk. Because when Darius came to the lion's den to see if Daniel had made it through the night, Daniel lets him know loud and clear that it was God who had protected him by sending the angel to shut the lion's mouth. And Darius was listening. He knew Daniel. Daniel loved God and lived a life that reflected his faith. He was a man, a character, and people, as well as the king, they were watching they were listening. They were paying attention. Now, in a conversation about Daniel, John Ortberg says this. More than any time in history, there seems to be a famine of character. We need examples of people who say what they believe and then live it out. Character is about holding 
convictions that honor God and letting those beliefs shape all we say and do, even when no one is watching. True character is about staying true to what we believe, even when there are consequences. True character, staying, staying true to what we believe. And what do we believe? We believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We believe in the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus teaches us about a particular way of living in the world. And that way looks like this. Love and generosity and compassion and forgiveness and being less judgmental. And joy and peace. Because here's the truth. We can say anything. We can claim anything. We can say we believe anything. But if our life doesn't reflect the belief, it doesn't matter. We're not living our faith out. And like Jody said, it's an inside-out kind of thing. So the question within the question is, am I a person of integrity and of character? Does my life reflect God to the world in a way that the world might want to know that God? Because I do believe that living out a life of faith does start right here. Because I think sometimes our knee-jerk reaction is to look out there. Even like me at the hockey arena, I was looking out there. We tend to say that the world is so bad and so hard and I don't know how to deal with all those difficult people. But for 70 plus years, Daniel was living among pagans and idol worshipers and he stayed true to his faith. He loved and served the people that he was engaged in life with. How different would the story be if Daniel had given into the culture he lived in, blaming those around him? He could have grabbed the power, the idol worship. It probably would have been an easier life in some ways. Trapped by this deceitful plan from his colleagues, he could have blamed them, and he could have caved in. But he didn't. He put his trust in God. And even at the risk of death, he stood by his convictions. The coolest thing about this story for me is that Daniel's character, a character and a way of life, they come from having a heart for God. And that's what gave him credibility as a man of faith. He became part of God's transforming work in the world. Gandhi once said, be the change you want to see in the world. Greg Boyd, a local pastor and an author, says this about Gandhi's quote. It seems to me, however, that few people adopt Gandhi's philosophy. It's far easier to focus our attention on how others should change. It's far easier to spend our energy assigning blame for the problems of society on others. It's far easy, easier to control the behaviors of others by gaining political power over them. This approach keeps the focus off ourselves and helps us feel righteous and wise. And it reminds me of me at the hockey arena. I was looking at others and making judgments on behavior rather than walking humbly with God and focusing on the log in my own eye instead of the dust particle in theirs. Our job is to be the change, not make the change. God does that. God does the changing. 
So if the first part to our question, if the first answer to the question of how to live our faith out in a world of many faiths is to actually live our faith out in a life that reflects God to the world, I think the second part of the answer is a willingness for us to meet people where they're at. I think both of these things take trust in God and courage and humility. All things that we can only get through the work of the Holy Spirit. So the second story I want to look at today is in Acts 17, and it's about the Apostle Paul. I know Dave Stark touched on this a few weeks ago, but we're going to look at it from a different angle. And not only in Acts is Paul talking to the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles in the synagogues, but he's in the marketplace in Athens. And this is a scene for philosophical debate. And Paul is in the mix just conversing and talking with Epicureans and Stoics and all the great philosophers. Because this was a place that people came to share all their ideas. They wanted to get new ideas. They wanted to hear what was going on the there in the world. And people with all different, differing faiths gathered in this place. And in 17, 16 through 21, and this is important to note, Paul is in Athens and he is deeply troubled. He is deeply disturbed by the idol worship that he sees going on there. And we're going to pick it up in 22 through 29. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For I, as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it. To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing, that's the one I'm telling you about. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. So Paul goes on in that chapter to talk about judgment, resurrection, repentance. And the chapter ends like this. Some of the people mock Paul. But some of the people are listening. I'm sure they've been watching Paul. And some of the people believe and they join Paul think in this passage what we see is Paul showing us how to engage in a world of different faiths and beliefs he enters into the culture he meets people where they're at and like Daniel he holds on to his convictions but he still engages in the culture and what I love about Paul is that he knew the people of Athens he listened he observed most importantly he cared about the people. And this is so important. Because in 17, 6, 16, it says that Paul is waiting for them in Athens. And he was deeply distressed. 
This wasn't an intellectual issue. This wasn't an argument to be won. It was a matter of the heart. And when you have a heart for God, you have a heart for others. And Paul was concerned out of compassion and love. It wasn't about being right. It wasn't about being the loudest voice. And here's how Paul knew. Do you remember the road to Damascus? Paul was transformed. He was transformed and changed through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. He just wanted people to know that love and truth. And it's in knowing the love of Christ that gives us the humility and the courage to meet people where they're at. Paul observes things. He enters their context and their way of life while acknowledging that it's different than his. He compliments them first. Finding this place to bridge. I see how religious you are. He took notice. And Paul, while rooted in Old Testament ideas, he uses the language of the Athenians. He relates to the Greek philosophers by interacting with their thought, even quoting their own writers in a well-informed and a respectful way. He looks at their idols and he acknowledges that the people are longing for something. And he highlights their longings in their language. And I love this part. He's inclusive. We are all his offspring. Paul didn't come with an agenda. He came with a transformed heart. And I think when we enter the world, we can be tempted to either shout the loudest we can get in people's faces because we want them to know the truth. They want us, they, we want them to see it our way, the right way. Or the other extreme of that pendulum is sometimes we're too passive. We're too quiet. And we don't engage at all. And in looking back to those few years on the, in the hockey arena, I think I erred that way. As people of God, we live out our faith with humility and grace, believing that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. But we hold that together and we can meet people where they're at. We can see God in every person and we commit ourselves to knowing and loving and serving one another. And above all, we trust. We trust that God changes hearts. That's God's mission. So here's the rest of my hockey story. Because God was teaching me amazing things. A few years into being on the hockey team, one of the hockey moms came down with inflammatory breast cancer. She came down with it in March, and she died in November. In the last few days of her life, I was asked to come and be with the family. I think I was the closest thing that they might have known to a pastor presence. They weren't churchgoers. And in that two days, dozens of hockey parents came and went to say their goodbyes. And God blew me away with the love of these people that came to say goodbye to their friend Jenny. God pulled away all those things that had stopped me from seeing God in them. Maybe they couldn't see God in me. But a moment stands out for me. I was on the front porch making a phone call. And one of the hockey moms walked up, and I kind of knew who she was. 
I felt this sort of, oh, okay, how do I do this? But as she walked up, I saw that she had been crying. And I introduced myself, and she said, oh, yeah, I know who you are. And as we stood on that front porch, she told me her story. A story of a husband who had been diagnosed the year before with cancer, and he had survived, and she didn't know how to deal with that, and she couldn't. She couldn't go in to say goodbye to her friend. It was just too hard. And as God allowed me to see her and her to see me, we held hands, and we walked through those doors, and we stood by the bedside of our friend, and we said goodbye together. And it changed me. God's transforming love was working on the people there, was working on me, and that's the cool thing. He works on all of us all the time. In us, through us, even despite us sometimes. Jesus invites us to relate with people with different views for the sake of his kingdom. This is our world. It's a world of many faiths, many beliefs, a lot of people with no faith. But living a life that reflects Jesus to people and a willingness to meet people where they're at. That's who God calls us to be. Well, it'll be two years next month since I graduated from seminary. Seven years, 144 credits, and I am so happy to be at this place. Um, in that time, I learned so much. I learned how much I didn't know. And I just continued to learn and learn and learn, and I loved it, and I was grateful. But I'll tell you, there's one thing that I learned in seminary that I take with me every day. I've never, never forgotten it. My second class in seminary, Global and Contextual Studies, Dr. Wilbur Stone was the professor, and he must have been, Dr. Stone was probably near 80. Baptist roots, Jesus and Bible lover. He loved people so well. He and his family had lived all over the world doing mission work. And on that first day of class, let me back up a little bit. One of the things Dr. Stone did, every year he was gone for two weeks because he and other Christians from around the world would go to the Middle East and meet with Muslims. And they'd gather together and they'd find places to bridge. They'd say, hey, where can we meet each other in our humanity, in our belief in a greater God? And let's start the conversation there. Let's know each other there. Let's love each other. And little did I know that Dr. Wilbur Stone was like cutting edge on reconciliation. I mean, that's the kind of peacemaking that God calls us to. But on the first day of that class, Dr. Stone said this. Our job as Christians is to hold the truth of Jesus Christ humbly and go out into the world and love people. That's the short answer to the question. Let's pray. Holy God, you are a God that calls us to love others, and we love because you loved us first. God, we are so grateful that you give us the strength and courage through the work of your Holy Spirit to be people that reflect your character, your love to a hurting world. We know, God, that you do call us to be people of courage, to meet people where they're at. We thank you for 
how you love us, God, and the strength that gives us to love others. All this in your precious and holy name. Amen.